That chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your pregame stop before this Saturday night's D.C. United match at Audi Field. Register at waltersdc.com slash events and receive a free old-time logger for doing so. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corbin sets, and the pitch swung on and lined into right center field, a base hit. Cole chasing, he can't cut it off. It will go all the way to the wall in right center field. This is going to clear the bases. Slater scored from third. Estrada all the way around from first comes in to score. And the Giants cash in here at the bottom of the first inning. It's San Francisco 2 and Washington nothing. Here is J.D. Davis, runner at third. Estrada, pitch, line drive left center field, base hit. Giants get the insurance run. Malou will scoop it up, throw it in towards second. It's 4-1 to one San Francisco. And welcome to Nat Chat for Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Oracle Park in San Francisco, California. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, there was no great comeback. There was no encouraging win for the Nats late night on Tuesday night. A 4-1 loss at the San Francisco Giants in Game 2 of a three-game series. Just the Nats' third loss in eight games. Nats now 15-21. and A rough game for C.J. Abrams. A rough game for Mason Thompson. Good games for Dominic Smith and Alex Cole. And dare I say, Patrick Corbin. He did register another quality start by definition, but the Nats one for 12 with runners in scoring position. The Giants only went two for 12 with runners in scoring position. Each team had 10 hits, but the Nats scored just uh, one run. Giants scored four runs. Mark, this was a winnable game for the Nats, uh, but this ended up not being a win. It was winnable, and in some respects, you would say, hey, they did a good job against Logan Webb, a tough opposing pitcher. You get nine hits off him in seven innings, and especially early in the game, the first three innings had a bunch of guys on base. You'd say, okay, well, that's pretty good. The problem was once they got him on base, they could not bring him in. Like you said, one for 12 with Dungeons in scoring position, but 0 for 7 in the first three innings alone. And what stood out to me was there was a distinct difference between the guys who had success against him in this game and the guys who did not. And the guys who did not were the less experienced hitters, especially at the bottom of the order, who kept coming up with opportunities to do something, and they looked overmatched against Logan Webb. The Nats had a leadoff single in each of the first four innings. I mean, this game was there to be had. At least this game was there to be a game in which the Nats scored more than one run. And, uh, 
It just did not happen. That's for the game. Ten hits, one double, and nine singles. Uh, only drew a couple of walks. Uh, Logan Webb, who is having a pretty good season, one run in seven innings with seven strikeouts. Six of the ten hits came from just two guys, Dominic Smith and Alex Cole. But in talking about those Nats who struggled, C.J. Abrams uh, really stood out. And, you know, he has been a lot better lately offensively. So, you know, it's not like he's had a bunch of these bad games, but he did have a bad game on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts. And he also had some issues in the field with C.J. Abrams. C.J. Abrams in a Giants one-run first, a throwing error. Uh, He on a leadoff grounder by Austin Slater, made a backhanded catch deep in the hole, but then made a one-hop throw on which the first baseman, Dominic Smith, uh, could have made the catch, but didn't. was not an easy catch to make. Uh, Smith failed in an attempt at a backhanded catch, but, you know, that was not a very good throw by Abrams. And then Abrams in the bottom of the second made a terrible throw Swinging a bouncer back past Corbin, off the second base back, fielded by Abrams, hurries the throw, throws it by Smith. Off the screen in front of the dugout, stays in play, and picked up by Dom Smith. Wisely was given an infield single. The ball went off the second base bag in route to Abrams behind the bag. So kind of a weird play, but again, a bad throw there by C.J. Abrams. So not a banner night for the Nats shortstop. No, probably his worst night in a while, maybe even since opening day, you could argue that the last time he had a game quite like this, and it was both at the plate and in the field. In the field, he never looked comfortable at all. And I did wonder, once the first throw was off target, did it kind of sit in his head a little bit? The thing that was noticeable, he was bouncing everything. He was not getting anything on those throws. And I think part of the issue was he was kind of sitting back and throwing off his back foot instead of really stepping into them. He mentioned that the wind, which is obviously a huge deal in San Francisco always, was blowing towards him. And he thought that took a little bit off the throws as well. Maybe he needed to give a little more to sort of compensate for it. Whatever the case, he did not look comfortable out there. Now, he also had a great diving catch at one point, almost had a second one that he just missed late in the game. So he still has that ability. But it feels like when he does struggle, it's when he has a little too much time to think about it. When he just has to react, especially on those double plays, much better. When he has time to think about it, he's getting a little lazy and not really putting his whole body behind those throws. Every single one, even the ones he got there, Dom Smith is reaching down to catch them instead of reaching up to catch them. And that's not what you want as a shortstop. Yeah, he can be, Abrams can, a little casual. We saw this with Luis Garcia last season, but it was odd because on Tuesday night, the ball seemed to constantly find C.J. Abrams in the field. Like, he had a lot of opportunities at balls, and, you know, that's how it is with shortstops. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, we, we pummel him because, again, he's done a good job defensively, but this was not a very good game for him, both offensively and defensively. Also, Jamer Candelario on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 uh, for a second consecutive game in his second game back from the uh, two-game absence caused by dehydration. We did get the Major League regular season debut of Jake Alou. He was an ad starting left fielder and number nine batter, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Uh, Not the kind of debut that, you know, Jake Alou wanted to have. No. Now, let's point out that's a tough matchup for anybody in their Major League debut facing the pitcher like Logan Webb, who moves the ball as well as he does. That's probably not the kind of sinker and change-up combo that Jake Alou was seeing a lot at AAA. So it was a tough matchup for him. But let's be honest here. He and C.J. Abrams together, they looked overmatched for much of this night. They were not just striking out. They were striking out on three pitches often. And Webb kind of had them eating out of his hand at times in this one. Collectively, you had 
Abram stranding, I think, seven runners on base. Alou stranded five. The only time that he didn't come up with a runner on base was when he led off the ninth, and that was a strikeout against Camilo Doval. So that's a, a tough one for him. He had his family here. He was really hoping to do something. It didn't happen. Davey said he's going to get another chance here pretty soon. They're facing a lefty on Wednesday, so he won't be in there then. But probably this weekend when the team gets back home against the Mets, he's going to be back in there. And they'll see if he can sort of push aside the butterflies of his first career game and maybe just settle into the grind of playing in the big leagues on a daily basis. He, he has shown an ability to hit at every level, but there is a difference in the major leagues, and especially when you're facing a guy who is one of the better ones in the league in Logan Webb. So Jake Alou is on the major league team because Victor Robles is on the 10-day injured list with the back spasms. In terms of this rotation now in left field, because we have Alex Gall, who has become the everyday center fielder. We had Stone Garrett in game one. We had Jake Alou in this game two. I guess we are, in fact, seeing a rotation here in left field. Maybe some Ildemaro Vargas, maybe some Joey Manessis, but it seems like Davey Martinez is going to give guys opportunities and kind of see who does what in left field. Yeah, I would say unless somebody stands out from the pack and really gets hot, then you maybe stick with them. Otherwise, I think he's going to try to play what he thinks is the best matchup on a given day. I'll be interested on Wednesday. Does he go right back to Stone Garrett against the lefty or would he do like he has suggested and put Manessis in left field and then have somebody else, maybe Manessis and left and Garrett DHing, although I'm not sure that's the right move defensively for them to do. So I'm not sure how he would handle that one. But yeah, I think that's going to be a little bit of a revolving door for the time being. If somebody seizes it, then you could go to them on a regular basis. But Manessis is a little bit proven, but he's going to be in the lineup anyways, whether it's DHing or left field. But when it comes to Garrett and Alou, you're talking about some pretty unproven major league hitters at this point. So I'm not sure anybody deserves to just have that job handed to them. They're going to have to earn it. And if not, you just play the best matchups and hope for the best. So I mentioned Dominic Smith having three hits in this game on Tuesday night. He certainly was a bright spot. Dominic Smith got on base four times. He went three for three with an RBI single, two other singles, and a walk. Uh, Smith in the top of the second, a leadoff opposite field single through the left side of the infield despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Smith in the top of the fourth, a first pitch leadoff single up the middle. Smith in an Nats one run sixth, a one out opposite field RBI single to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1. And Smith in the top of the eighth, a two-out walk. This probably has snuck up on some people, but Dominic Smith now, in this month of May, has a batting average of 407 and an on-base percentage of 515. He is having an outstanding month of May, and if you're watching these games, Dominic Smith has such a nice, easy, relaxed swing, and we are seeing now, these last few games, the Dom Smith who did stand out with the New York Mets over multiple seasons. He was an up-and-down player for the Mets, and he could struggle, and we obviously saw him struggle early in this season. But boy, he has looked a lot better lately. He has. Now, the one caveat there, he's still not hitting for any power. You would love to see just a little bit of something, even just some doubles would be nice. He's not doing that, but he is getting the bat on the ball, hitting it in the air somewhat. They'll take singles out of him right now. That is something, and he had the only hit with a runner in scoring position in this game and drove in the only run. So that was good. He doesn't run the bases all that great. There have been some moments here on this road trip that it feels like a hit that you would think, oh, he could maybe score in that or, or somebody could score in that. And Gary DiCharcina is holding him up because I think there's just a feeling that he doesn't have it, just doesn't have the physical tools to beat some of these throws. So that's a little bit frustrating. But 
from where he was to where he is now, definitely improvement. The hope would be that some of these singles start to turn into doubles, starts hitting with a little bit more authority. But, you know, at the moment, it's not like there's somebody else waiting in the wings that is clearly going to be superior. And the defense he's providing at first still is helping them. He helped save CJ Abrams from multiple errors in this game. So that is still valuable. So some good signs, but, you know, I'm not ready to say that he's completely snapped out of this or that he is, you know, fully becoming the hitter that they want him to be. Yeah, I think what you want with Dom is for him to do well, and then you're able to trade him. Dominic Smith, to me, is not someone who you want to ride out the good and the bad with. You want him to be good for you, and then maybe you can get something for him later in this season. But he has been better lately off, you know, again, a really rough start to things. You know, it's funny you bring up him running the bases, and yet DeSarcina sent Dom on that shallow fly ball to Paven Smith the other night. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what the thinking was there, but good to see Dominic Smith hitting just a bit. Well, and he hasn't sent him again since, and I wonder if that one kind of spooked him, and now he's not going to take a chance with Dom, right? Because there were some chances since then that you thought, eh, maybe you could try to push the envelope a little bit for a team that's so desperate to score runs. And DeSarcina has been very careful, not really waving guys around. And Smith's probably number one on that list of guys he's not waving around at the moment. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. Zero percent financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As Corbin hopes for the 1-2-3 inning into the wind, here it comes. Swinging a shot, hit Corbin. Deflects in the air, one hop to Candelario, throw to first, safe at first base. But now they'll turn the attention to Corbin. I think turned his back and it hit him. I think in the upper part of the back of the right shoulder. Really won't know until we see a replay as Paul Asar, the Nationals Director of Athletic Training, is out there to see on Corbin. That was a scary one. I mean, he, he is up and alert and, and talking and checking his cap. Well, would you believe that Patrick Corbin now has had himself a number of quality starts over his last five starts? Four quality starts over his last five starts. Now, as I'm sure most of you listening know, a quality start is defined as no more than three earned runs allowed and no fewer than six innings pitched. We all get that three earned runs in six innings works out to an ERA of 450. Quality, that is not. Although, by Patrick Corbin 2023 standards, I think you certainly could make the case that that is, in fact, quality. Patrick Corbin is doing all right here. He's been solid for about a month now. And Patrick Corbin in this loss on Tuesday night was solid once again. Corbin allowed three runs, two earned in six innings. Uh, He gave up eight hits, a home run, a double, and six singles. He issued no walks, did issue a wild pitch. He had three strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, 96 pitches, 66 strikes versus 30 balls. He had better than a two-to-one strikes-to-balls ratio. Bottom of the first, Corbin allowed two runs, only one of which was earned on a throwing error by C.J. Abrams, an opposite field single by Tyro Estrada to right field, and a two-run opposite field double by Mitch Hanniger to the right center field gap for a 2-0 Giants lead. Corbin in the bottom of the fourth gave up the home run, a one-out first pitch solo homer by Casey Schmidt to left center field for a 3-0 Giants lead. And also with Corbin in this game, he in the bottom of the fifth took a comebacker off his left arm and head for a two-out infield single by Mitch Hanniger. Corbin did stay in the game. That was a uh, disturbing moment, what happened there with Patrick Corbin. So, you know, we had that, but we also had what was, again, by Patrick Corbin 2023 standards, a rather solid performance. Yeah, let's start with the comebacker, because that was scary. It's 100 miles an hour off the bat. And watching it live, you couldn't tell exactly where it got him and how flush it was. He got his arm up there, like, just in the nick of time, to avoid a direct hit to the face, which is obviously the worst case scenario for a pitcher. But even so, your left arm, your pitching arm, and he took it off the forearm and the wrist, and then it glanced off, I think, like kind of his left cheekbone, sort of. That could have been really bad for his arm. Now, he was able to stay in the game, obviously. He said the first couple warm-up throws, the wrist was bothering him, but it was fine after that. I'll be interested to see the day after, does it? you know, stiffen up on him. Is that a problem? He pointed out that they have an extra day of rest because of the off day after this road trip. That should help him out some. He didn't seem all that concerned in thinking that might prevent him from making his next start. But anytime you see something like that happen, you do worry about it. And to his credit, 
He stayed in there and he was successful after that. He recorded four more outs, came back in the sixth inning and kept the game where it was. So I want to compliment him on that because that's not an easy thing to do when that happens to you as a pitcher. And I think anybody could understand if he was a little spooked out by it and didn't want to take the mound again after that. He's giving them a chance. And that's all you can ask for from Patrick Corbin right now. And I know that they're paying him a lot more money than to just be a guy who gives you a chance. But we have to understand where he's coming from. Maybe at some point, if he keeps this up, you say, okay, there's still another step to take and he can be somewhat better than this. But for now, six innings and two or three runs, I think you just take that and be satisfied with it and hope he can get some run support because for whatever reason, they're not scoring runs for him. Those four quality starts, he has zero wins in that time. Hasn't entirely been his fault. Yeah, the Nats also aren't playing great defense when he pitches. Like, all of these C.J. Abrams errors seem to happen whenever Patrick Corbin pitches for whatever reason. It's all relative, as we know. I think there is extreme Patrick Corbin fatigue for all of us. Like, his situation has been talked to death. We certainly have talked about it a ton on this podcast. And, you know, you take a step back. I mean, for all of the quality starts, Patrick Corbin now in this regular season, eight starts, ERA of 487, whip of 142. I mean, those are bad numbers, and they're certainly not numbers worthy of a six-year, $140 million contract. But, you know, this is where we're at. The fact that the ERA isn't in the sixes is a win. You know, the fact that the ERA is under five is something that you can take some solace in. But, you know, it would be nice if there was a step forward year for Corbin in some regard, because as we have talked about, it's been disturbing, A, him being bad, but B, him getting progressively worse and his inability and the Nats' inability to like get their arms around the decline and like stop the bleeding, like stop the decline from getting worse and worse. And so if you can, in fact, reverse things even a little bit this year, that would be good. I mean, that would be something. And, you know, with the way that Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray, and for the most part, Trevor Williams have pitched, if Corbin can pitch to the tune of, say, a 4-5 ERA this season, you actually have a pretty good rotation to say nothing of, you know, if Jake Irvin, in fact, ends up being a pleasant surprise. Like, the Nats starting pitching could actually end up being a sneaky strength, especially if a guy like Corbin can just be acceptable. And lately, he has been acceptable. Right. What he's avoided so far are the blow-up starts that he had way too often last year. Even when he's not at his best, he's still kind of getting through it. He's at least giving them five innings, often six innings, and minimizing the damage to some extent. So I think they have made progress in this regard. He's not walking batters, number one, but I think he has found the right arm slot that allows the fastball and the slider to look the same coming out of his hand. That's as we know, you know, his bread and butter, that's the way for him to be successful. He's not going to reinvent himself as a pitcher at this point. I think he tried to do that at times last year. It never happened. And so this year he said, I'm going back to being what I was when I was successful. The key to that is consistent mechanics, consistent arm slot, and then you hope for the best. And it has been better. Has it been great? No. His last start was great against the Cubs. This one, not so much. But if he can make this on the lower end of the scale of his starts, six innings, three runs, two earned, that's great. And if he can just have a few more of those really good starts like he did against Chicago, then you have something working there for him. At the end of the year, he gives you 30 starts and an ERA under five. I'm calling that a success. And I know the bar is low. I get it. You want more than that, ideally. But I like the fact that they don't have to count on him so much 
anymore. It's gore and gray at the top for certain. Trevor Williams, you know, is going to be a solid guy. And then you hope Jake Irvin is the real deal. And if that's the case, you don't need to think of Corbin as one of the most important pitchers on the staff. You just need to think of him as a guy who takes the ball every five days and gives you a chance. And that is what he's doing right now. Yeah. You don't have to have him be your opening day starter for a third consecutive season next year. All right. So Corbin is trending up, at least by his standards. Mason Thompson, though, is struggling. The Nats bullpen on Tuesday night, two Nats relievers combined to give up one run in two innings. The biggest item was Mason Thompson struggling again. Bottom of the seventh, he allowed a run, marking a fourth time in five appearances that he has allowed at least one run. Thompson, of course, had been doing so well, not lately. So he came into the game, he issued a leadoff seven-pitch walk of Michael Conforto, despite Conforto having been down at 1.02. Thompson had Conforto down 0-2, ended up walking him on seven pitches. Then came a really bizarre moment, a steal of second base by Tyro Estrada. Estrada had reached first base via a fielder's choice. Runner takes off, Thompson should step off, he'll throw it. No, he doesn't throw the ball, it's a stolen base! He stole the base without Thompson getting rid of the ball. Seemed to have Estrada dead to rights at second base, but Thompson, I guess, locked up and then didn't even throw the ball to second base. Then Thompson gave up a two-out first pitch RBI single by J.D. Davis to left field for a 4-1 Giants lead. And then Thompson actually issued another walk, a two-out walk of Wilmer Flores. But what happened on that Estrada steal of second base? I don't know. I think at first he didn't think Luis Garcia was going to be there in time. He didn't want to throw the ball away. By the time that he realized that Garcia was going to be there, he just froze and couldn't make the throw. He really looks out of sorts right now. The big thing with Mason Thompson for that first month of the season when he was so good, he's throwing strikes. His strike percentage was off the charts good and getting ahead of every hitter and then putting them away. His misses right now are all over the place. And that is concerning to me. I don't know if that's a product of all the work and the, you know, three inning outings and that kind of thing, or if he's just, you know, feeling off with his mechanics or anything like that. But he has not been the same pitcher here over the last 10 days to 14 days. And to me, it is not just that he's not throwing strikes, but he's really missing his spots by a lot. You're seeing wild pitches, balls going to the backstop. He is got to try to figure that out here fairly soon because we've talked about how important it is that Davey Martinez has enough options that he can trust in big spots. Thompson's supposed to be one of those guys. And at the moment, you're feeling like he might need to take a step back and pitch in some lower leverage spots. This kind of was a lower leverage spot, to be honest, down 3-1. He may need to do more of that to get himself right again, which would be unfortunate because you'd like to think of him as a guy that could pitch the seventh or the eighth inning in a tie game or with the team ahead. You know, it's a credit to Thompson because his whip for the season is still only one zero five. Like it really speaks to how well he had been doing. He, of course, has thrown a lot of innings. In fact, he and Chad Cool have thrown the same number of innings on the season. Each is at 22. But there's no doubt if Mason Thompson is becoming someone who Davey Martinez can't trust, I mean, you know, what is David going to do? Throw Hunter Harvey every game? Like, you know, you need more relievers who you can trust right now with this Nats bullpen, not fewer. And it's been tricky. Kyle Finnegan's up and down. Carl Edwards Jr. is up and down. We've seen Erasmo Ramirez struggle, although also do well. Andres Machado has been okay, but at times has not been so okay. You need some people who you can look at and say, okay, I feel, you know, at least reasonably sure in you. For the longest while this season, Thompson was one of those guys, clearly, 
and he's off. I mean, I wonder if he's ailing. We know he's got an injury history. I wonder if there's something going on with him because he does not look anything like the pitcher who we saw just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I didn't say it, but in the back of my mind, I've been wondering that too. Are we going to find out that something's been bothering him physically and the next thing you know, he's on the IL? You hope that's not the case. You hope it's just some mechanics things and he can figure it out, but he has not looked like the same pitcher the last several times out there. And the first two games of the series have kind of given Davey a little bit of a break. We were all wondering after the events of the weekend in Arizona, when Finnegan blows a save and then Harvey gets the save on Sunday, who's going to get the next opportunity in the ninth? It has not come up. They were ahead by enough on Monday that it didn't matter and he could uh, close out the game with B bullpen guys. This game, obviously, they were behind the whole way. I'm fascinated to see if they have a lead late on Wednesday. Where does he go? Both guys are fresh now. They both had a few days off. Who does he go to? In what order? That, to me, is the next big question mark with the bullpen. Well, and you have the scheduled off day on Thursday, so you don't have to worry about tomorrow with the next game. Like The next game, you can kind of go all in on and and try to use whoever you want to use. So I would think we maybe even see both guys if, in fact, the game is competitive. Hobie Harris on Tuesday night did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you see a lot of teams, option relievers up and down You don't see that with the Nats. They have not done a lot of that in recent years. They'll do it when they have to do it, like a guy is hurt or a guy is just so bad that a change has to be made, like when Anthony Bonda got DFA'd. But by and large, the Nats aren't aren't doing the thing of like optioning one guy, sending him back down, have him rest for a little bit, then bring him back up. The Nats, for whatever reason, don't do that. I think there's only been two transactions involving the bullpen. One was Bonda being DFA'd and Machado coming up. And the other one was Jordan Weems, like just for the day for the doubleheader being called up. I think those are the only two bullpen moves they've made so far this year. I agree. I'll be interested to see. There's another decision, you know, they're not there yet, but I'll be curious if they might do something here. Chad Cool threw a simulated game, three innings before Tuesday's game. He obviously needs to do some more, probably go on a rehab assignment, build himself up to five innings before they think about activating him. At this point, I think we all have to agree, Jake Irvin needs to be starting, not Chad Cool. So when the time comes, assuming that Irvin is still looking somewhat effective, what do you do? I could see a scenario in which Cool ends up being activated and put in the bullpen, and maybe somebody does go down at that point, maybe a Hobie Harris because he has options. Thaddeus Ward as the rule five pick, you have to give up on him altogether. I don't think they want to do that. I think they like him enough, but I'll be interested. That is a bullpen decision that may be coming up. It, it may be another week or two away before they have to decide that, but it is something that's going to come up here at some point. So you don't think that Cool still could get cut? You think Cool is still going to be on the team? Uh, it's hard to say. I think you have to consider the personal situation He's in with his wife. And I, I know these are supposed to be baseball decisions. And sometimes you have to make difficult decisions that impact people's lives in a negative way. I would think that they wouldn't take that step quite yet. Now, let's be clear. Cool can't just be optioned to the minors. He would have to be cut altogether, designated for assignment. So my guess would be they would be more likely to try to give him one more shot, you know, pitching out of the bullpen as a long man, see if they can get something more out of him before cutting ties altogether. But we'll see. They may get to a point that they say, listen, he clearly isn't one of the 13 best pitchers we have. We're very sorry that he and his wife are dealing with what they're dealing with. But at some point, you have to actually perform to stay in the big league. So we'll see. They can also keep dragging out the IL stint a little bit. He can make several rehab starts. So this may not be anything that's that urgent. But at some point, that is a decision they're going to have to make. And 
my hunch would be they'd be more likely to put him in the bullpen first and give him at least a little bit of a chance there before cutting ties altogether. But it also depends on how the other guys in the bullpen are performing. If everybody there is doing great, then no, you're not going to drop somebody for Chad Cool. But if somebody is struggling, it would give you that out. I would just say this too about the Chad Cool personal situation. It's sad. Everyone wishes his wife the best. And, you know, I hope obviously that she conquers breast cancer. But, you know, if they did cut him, you know, it's not like you're firing a school teacher making $30,000 a year whose wife has cancer. Like, you know, Chad Cool is in a position that a lot of people would love to be in financially, not, you know, from a standpoint of what's happening with his wife. So, you know, I think like you're not kicking a guy to the curb and he has like no resources or anything like that. I want to ask you one more thing about Nats pitching. Jackson Rutledge on Tuesday had another good outing. Jackson Rutledge is on the rise here. He's pitching for double A Harrisburg, six starts this season, ERA a 321. Do you think that it is likely or at least possible that we see Jackson Rutledge pitching in the Nats rotation at some point this season? I think it's certainly possible. We have to remember a lot of these young starters, they're going to be watching their innings limit, uh, you know, their workload. Mackenzie Gore, less so Josiah Gray because they did that with him last year. They feel better. Jake Irvin, look, if, if he does stay up here, there's a long way to go before this happens. But if he stays up here, he is a guy who is a year removed from Tommy John surgery. So they're going to be watching his workload as well. So yeah, there's going to be an opportunity before the season's over where they need some starters. Here's what I like. In Rutledge's case, my guess would be, you know, this is his first stint at double A. I know he's a little older because he had the injury. So he's not a kid at double A, but it is his first time there. Give him half a season at double A. If it goes well, you move him up to triple A. And now maybe later in the year, if the time comes, you can call on him. But here's what I like. For the first time in a long time, we're talking about legitimate depth options for them, not just the veterans with big league experience who could step in when they need a starter, but actual potential long-term pieces. And what that means is that they don't need all these guys to hit. <laughs> if Jake Irvin isn't the real deal, if Josiah Gray gets hurt at some point, I mean, Kate Cavalli's out for the whole year and they're still surviving without that. It's a really nice position to finally be in that they have not been in really in a long time. It would be great if Jackson Rutledge forces the issue and says, hey, I should be in the big leagues at some point, find me a spot. If the Nats don't have a spot for him, that's a good thing because it means everybody's healthy and pitching well. But if something does happen, as it very often and usually does, it's nice to know that you have some options down there that aren't just retreads, but are potential pieces in the long-term puzzle. That's a very nice position for them to finally be in. Yeah, Jackson Rutledge, number 17 overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. It has taken a while due to injury and inconsistency, but he seems to be in a good place and he's doing well for AA Harrisburg right now. You tell us what you think, hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, see what we can do for you. Contact the mastermind of the pod, Tim Shovers, that email address again, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website, natschatpodcast.com. You can listen to previous shows. You can order yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, and you can also contact the show. Again, that website, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music for the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The Nationals an out away from staving off elimination. 
Ishikawa with a broken bat roller to short for Ian Desmond, and there will be at least four games in this division series. With their backs to the wall, the Nationals score a 4-1 to win. Sure was a big game. Doug Fister, of course, giving him everything they need to get to that inning in a scoreless tie, and then a fundamental play of a bunt. Open it up for the Nationals. Got to be feeling better.